Hello, and welcome to the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and I'm one of the leading experts in online mediation. I have personally been mediating online for over five years now, and I have my own fully online family law mediation and coaching practice. Two years ago, after so many of my colleagues reached out wanting to know how I was doing it, I created the Learn to Mediate Online training program. And to date, I have personally trained thousands of mediators in how to successfully conduct their mediations through an online platform. As a leading figure in the online mediation movement, I am privileged to be on the cutting edge of developments and advances in online practice, and this podcast has been created to share that information with you. So tune in each week to get the inside story on how to mediate online. I invite you to now listen to today's podcast. Hello, and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today I'm joined by my friend and colleague, uh, Judith Starr. She is one of my co-chairs for the American Bar Association's Section of Dispute Resolution Mediation Committee. Our other co-chair is Ed McDevitt. Um, One little plug for our mediation committee, which is one of the largest committees in the dispute resolution section. We have... um, a monthly Zoom meeting every month on the second Wednesday uh, at 12 noon. And anyone can join. So if you're interested, just reach out to me, to Judith, or go to the ABA um, section of Dispute Resolutions page and sign up for the Mediation Committee Connect. So you'll have the notices. But uh, Judith, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to be talking about your practical tips for mediators. Thank you. It's really good to be here. I'm so glad you're here. So we are, we talk um, every month because you have really adapted to moving to the Zoom platform and doing mediations. You for, um, just to give everybody a little background on Judith, um, because I think she's she's always too modest to talk about it. But Judith has a long and storied career with the federal government. Uh, she's a Harvard-educated lawyer. She was recognized as one of the top 5% of all federal executives with the Presidential Rank Award. Um, and she founded the mediation program at the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, where she served as general counsel. And Judith held a number of very um, high-ranking positions with different federal agencies through her career. Uh, But she recently retired in January of this year from her positions with the government and opened her own private practice in Florida, where she's currently practicing. So shortly after you retired and opened your own practice, Judith, COVID hit. And online mediation hit, and you pretty seamlessly segued over. I mean, I, you didn't really seem to show much of a, a stumble in your practice. So how do you think it's gone for you? Uh, well, I was fortunate in that um, through the mediation committee, I was very used to doing Zoom meetings, as you know. And I had a really good example of an online mediator in you <laughs> in front of me. So I realized pretty fast that I was going, I had always been planning on doing some online mediation, that the time was now. That was furthered by what was going on here in the courts in Florida, where the courts had to close in the spring. 
And they started to reopen just virtually after a few months of putting together a plan. And so they changed some of their procedures so that the mediation program could get up and running. And initially they had asked mediators if we would volunteer not only our time but our Zoom account. And now some of them are able to uh, to let mediators without Zoom accounts into the court ones, but it's obviously a little bit more complicated that way. So I volunteered to use my Zoom account to do um, online mediations in the county courts and small claims courts and the Citizens Dispute Settlement Program here in the 12th Judicial Circuit in Florida, which is Manatee County, Sarasota County, and Soto County. Yeah, and you really like jumped in. I mean, I'm, I think it was back in March where you actually got online um, and started doing mediations for the courts. Um, and you actually, I think, really kind of helped the courts set up how this should all work. I know we've talked at times and you were, you know, letting them know some of the issues around maybe email addresses for some of the participants. Maybe they don't have them and, you know, how were e-signatures going to work? So I, I think it's you, you were one of those uh, participants who wasn't just helping out by uh, doing the pro bono mediations. You were actually helping the courts even just set this up. Well, as I was finding things out, and, you know, Murphy's Law is alive and well when you're trying to do online mediations or online court anything for that matter. And so I did try to not only let the courts know what I was finding and sending in, you know, some suggestions, but also try to work with the mediation community here and share information about how to do things. So, um I've actually even done a continuing mediation course here already and have been sending around information about things that I'm finding as well as my monthly Zoom tips that I've been doing for our mediation committee newsletter. Um, you know, one of the things I'm finding out is um, it really has been a trial by fire because we do so many mediations when, when, when you decide to do it for the court. You know, you can, you know, we're volunteers. We're doing this pro bono and you can pick just to do a morning or just to do an afternoon, but the courts really needed help. So what I agreed to do was you know, basically dedicate a day to um, each of the two counties that are active, really active in the mediation program. I'm Manatee, where I live in Sarasota, which is you know, just next door. So um, that can be anywhere from five to seven mediations a day. And some of those will continue and you'll pick them up later, but you're going you're going pretty quickly. It's a lot of cases. Uh, some people are represented by counsel. Some people are not. You may have a case where both parties are pro se. You may have a case where both parties have lawyers, or you may have a case where one party has a lawyer and one party doesn't, and where they have very different levels of technology. So somebody may come in through a computer and have a microphone, and good cameras, and, you know, access to all the apps you can think of and somebody may come in through you know a very simple telephone and then it's just like a conference call and they have none of the ability that you would have when you're coming in through through zoom a lot of people don't even understand that if they do have a smartphone that they need to download the zoom app if they want to be able to do everything and so right. you wind up having people on a call because you don't really get to talk to them beforehand and they've come in and they can't share the screen with you. They can't see a chat. So if you're trying to send notices because things are running late or one of the parties hasn't shown up yet, you can't do that. 
So there are just a lot of issues with people coming in to a Zoom meeting with different levels of access and trying to sort of level playing field and first of all, see whether you can get people in to come back in if they can, you know, download the app and come in if they're really going to be doing some drafting. Um, or if not, just figure out ways to kind of even things out. So I did a mediation. It was an adjourned mediation. So we had, had an hour, then we had another two hours on Friday, and somebody came in just through um, just through their phone and not with an app, not through the app. They just went boom, and so they couldn't share the screen or anything. So I pointed that out, so they went back out, <laughs> you know, downloaded <laughs> the app, came back in because we needed to draft a document. But, you know, people don't always think about that. And even sophisticated people, if they are you know, on the road or they're really busy, they might just pick up their phone and come in and not realize that if you want to use the full functionality of Zoom, you need to come in through the application. You will not be able to do everything if you don't. You know, if you've got a smartphone, you know, just because you've got a smartphone, it's not going to work. No, it's not going to do. It's still everything. just a phone if, call, if, right? If you, don't, if you don't come in through the app, if you come in through the app on your phone, then you can do everything. You know, right. you can share the screen, you can chat, you can look at everybody, they can look at you, et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't, you're severely handicapped. And so, you know, and sometimes people, you know, don't want to do it or they're not comfortable downloading apps or they're worried about it. And some people, you know, have very, very simple phones, particularly in a, a debt collection case where someone comes in, they've only got a phone. They may not even have email. And then right. you really have to think about, okay, you know, Here's this person on the screen with me doing everything. There's a lawyer who represents a debt, a creditor who is trying to collect, you know, $8,000 from somebody who doesn't have it. And they've got to try and negotiate something. And the other person is on the phone and it's just like a phone call for them. They can't see anything. They can't see you. They can't look at the document. And so I've got to figure out ways to make sure that if I, that if we're looking at documents, I'm reading them, I'm reading them carefully. I'm reading them slowly. I'm asking, you know, for feedback constantly to make sure that the person understands what we're doing, you know, and that we've got ways to be able to execute documents as well. So it can be very, very challenging when you have people with unequal technology. Yeah, well, and I think that's something, you know, if you're doing private mediations for paying private clients, most of the time we have the opportunity to educate people about the technology needs, about the fact that they're going to need the app, they're going to need the program, they're, you know, this is how screen sharing works and walk them through. But I think it's really interesting, you know, when people are coming in through, uh, through the court system that the education perhaps doesn't extend that far. Um, and then the mediator, you in this particular case, is the one on the fly who has to sort of create, figure out how to deal with these issues um, and, and help the people. I mean, you're really talking about a situation that has the potential for inequity or perhaps unconscious bias or just issues around, you know, of one side who's all technologically savvy and another side who has Technology, just technology deficits, whether it's, you know, in their savvy or if it's in their ability to access the technology. But I've talked about in other episodes where that can create, you know, either an unconscious bias or just, you know, an issue where someone's feeling that they're not getting 
the equal attention of the mediator or they're not understanding. So um, so I, I heard you saying that what you're doing with an agreement is that you read it out loud to them do you, it slowly and then stop along the way to make sure they've understood that section that you've just read? Yes. Yeah, and, so, and you find that that can, I mean, I can imagine with a shorter document that can be helpful. Um, and, and probably most of the, the agreements that you're coming to, say, in small claims or something like that, aren't particularly long. No, they're all pretty short. I mean, basically, the way that the mediation program here works is that the, the county provides mediation uh, for free in small claims and for $60 a person in county civil cases, up to $15,000 in in controversy. When you get above that, the parties have to get their own mediator. So, um, you know, it's it's a fairly broad, broad spectrum. So the other thing I would say about sort of inequality is you may have parties that are economically equal, but, you know, here in Florida, we have a lot of retired people and they may have a very nice computer system and they don't know how to use that. And so sometimes you also need to work in the time to make sure that you tell people, you know, this button on your screen and then that one, you go here, you know, and I'll just say, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to hit share screen. You're going to see my screen. I'm going to ask you if you see my screen. Do you see my screen? You know, we're going to do this. And I walk them through everything I do, including, you know, when I get to, um, when I get to e-signatures. And I should talk about that as well. Something that I think is really important to have to replicate the in-person experience is to also have some form of these signatures. And as long as um, as people have emails so that you can send them something, they're okay, which is most of the time. I would say I've had a few cases that didn't. We've had to work around that. <coughs> but um, I think that it, it's really helpful. And it can also really level the playing field also. If you have someone who's represented and someone who's not, and everybody gets to see the document, discuss the document with me there, mediate and discuss any issues that they have, and then I can get it to everybody and they can sign it and we're done. It's all being done in this, you know, non-adversarial situation where there's somebody that can explain things and help them talk to each other. You know, if you don't do that, then you may have, you know, counsel, pushing something on the unrepresented person who may not understand the import of it, may not feel comfortable and things can go south. So I find that it works a lot better with these court cases to try to work out everything, including the language of the agreement, and get everybody to actually sign it right there. If they're not ready to, that's fine. And the other thing that I always, I'm very careful to tell unrepresented people that they always have a right to a lawyer. And, you know, if they want to go and find one and they want to consult one, they should always tell us. They should never feel that they don't understand what's going on or that you know, they're in over their head. Um, you know, self-determination is a very important aspect of, of mediation in Florida, probably everywhere, but I would say it's probably, you know, the number one principle for mediation here. So I do try to be really, really careful with that. Well, and I, yeah, I mean, I think that's so important because especially people can become intimidated in the process. Um, and when there's that additional technology layer, and if people are not comfortable with the technology, they may be feeling disadvantaged in addition to just the, the court process or the mediation process. 
than the technology and their, you know, non-understanding of how everything works. I love that you say that you actually just describe each thing that you're doing. As So I'm going to click on the icon for screen share and that's going to bring, you know, I love that because um, what you're adding is a verbal visual layer almost, right? You're taking what you're doing um, in, um, in actuality, but making it a verbal walkthrough for them so that everything can be more easily understood. So even if someone were on the phone, it strikes me that if you're saying, well, right now what I'm doing is screen sharing. I know you can't see the screen, but what we have on here is the document and I'm going to read that to you now. So we'll go through a paragraph by paragraph or something like that. Um, that's a great way to add, at least add a, a level of, I'm going to call it the visual and in my, my little hashtags. Um, but I know you have a favorite e-signature uh, pr- um, program or app that you're using. What's the one that you use? Well, I'm using PandaDoc and um, I'm using it quite frankly because it's free. <laughs> free is um, good. <laughs> yeah. Although if you go, if you go to their website, you won't know that automatically. So you kind of have to, uh, you have to click on signature tools Um Otherwise, you might think that you have to pay. But what you have to pay for is a whole bunch of other things that they do. This is kind of how they draw you into, you know, they do bills and contracts and all sorts of other things. So they do a really good office suite for people that are engaged in, you know, more kind of product work, product sales. But I'm very happy with this. It took me a while to get really proficient with it and get faster. But the people that are um, in my cases, they really like it. I mean, it's so easy for them. You know, I say, this is going to be really easy for you. You know, you're going to see this. It's going to go. You're going to do that. I said, in the second that you sign it, it's going to show up on my screen and I'll show it to you. <laughs> and everyone thinks that's really cool. And it actually yeah. is pretty cool because you're just sitting there and all of a sudden, you know, your document gets filled in with signatures and dates, which is, you know, so that's been very good for the court. It's really helped them. But I guess I should talk a little bit about, you know, glitches and how um, I have been uh, trying to overcome them. You know, one of the things about doing what I call speed dating of mediation is, you know, if you're doing seven mediations in a day or something like that, you know, you have to have all sorts of backup because all sorts of things can happen. You know, back in July, our internet service provider had a bad outage, you know, in the middle of the afternoon, and I got frozen out of the mediation. Right. Really awful. And, you know, I I couldn't use uh, Wi-Fi, obviously. My Wi-Fi was also couldn't do that. So what I did is I always have my cell phone in the room with me just in case anything happens. So I turn off the Wi-Fi, <laughs> get onto the cellular, go to my Zoom app and open my meeting again. And I was able to do that. And it was pretty seamless. I mean, everybody saw me frozen for a minute and then I came right on and we were able to complete the mediation. And I had to do my next mediation <laughs> from my phone because sure. they hadn't finished. They didn't finish until fixing the uh, internet until like seven o'clock. But I was able to get every single one done. So what I did is I have a virtual mediation process that I drafted up, and I added, you know, to that make sure that you have your cell phone on cellular, you know, so you don't even have to waste that time turning off Wi-Fi. Just be ready, and it's also part of the spiel. So when I start a mediation, I make sure that I have current email addresses for everybody, um, not just for getting a hold and phone numbers, That's not just for getting say. a hold of them, yeah. but also when we if we do get to an agreement, I need their email addresses. That's the first thing that I have to put into 
my uh, asymmetry document. So I make sure that I get all of that. And I explain to everybody, you know, what to do if they get disconnected and how to get in and have them email me if, if there's going to be an issue. I give everybody my uh, professional email address, judith at adrworkout.com, so that if there is an issue, which sometimes there is, they can let me know. I explain to them, you know, that if I have an issue, I will come back in and what to expect so that everyone is completely ready. So we just spend a couple of minutes going over all of the technology issues so that everybody is ready. You know, most of the time you don't need it, but sometimes you really do. And, you know, during storm season, you know, we had a lot of thunderstorms in the, in the summer, and, you know, some people had unstable connections at various points where they were. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's I actually did a whole episode on how a mediator's opening statement might change for an online mediation. Not that you wouldn't say all the things you normally say, but there's much that you would want to add, just as you pointed out. You want to have a protocol for if there's a technology failure. You want to let people know ahead of time because then there's not the panic, right, that that people seem to, you know, if the screen just goes out and they don't know what to do, then everybody gets all panicky. So I, I love that you said that because that's a, all the things that you point out, I think are very important. You yeah. need to let them know it might happen. You need to have everybody's emails. I always make sure I have cell phones and that they have mine and what they should do. Try to sign back on. Um, and people forget that you can do a mediation from your phone. It is not ideal. No, it isn't. But it, it, it's not, but it's better, honestly, than, a, a, for me anyway, a telephonic where you're just calling in on a hard line or not using the visual, at least on a screen, on even on a phone, you can see people, you can share documents, you can do pretty much everything that you can do, although you can't use breakout rooms. which yeah. and, um, and some people just live on their phones. I mean, you know, I've had yeah. lawyers that live on their phones. And, you know, they yeah. are smart, you know, so they've got the, they've got the app downloaded, but, you know, they just live on their phones and that's how they want to do everything. Yeah. So do, you know, and what can you do? The other thing I should mention is the firewall issue with e-signature is that some law firms, you know, have firewalls that are, you know, dealing with things that they think look like spam, and some of them will pick up your e-signature document. So I had this happen with two different firms. And, you know, they didn't have time to deal with their firewalls. I suggested that they do that, you know, right. but in the meantime, what I ended up doing was getting their personal emails. Right. So you can send it to them separately. Because the lawyers had signature authority and they were signing for their clients. And so we yeah. had to do that. We had to redo the document with a different signature. So that's something else to be on the lookout for is, um, is firewalls. Because some firewalls will just, you know, will do that. I mean, I remember when I was in the federal government, Initially, the firewall was uh, was uh, killing Zoom invitations. I mean, they're they're not allowed. Oh, really? to, yeah, they're not allowed to use Zoom themselves. But we were allowed to join Zoom meetings from the browser. But the first few times, <laughs> our firewall right. was kicking it out, and I had to work with our IT department to take care of that. So, that, you know, if you're dealing with with firms that you know really maintain a sturdy firewall, they may need to uh, to whitelist. Your, your application if they're not familiar with it. So that's another thing to, to think about. That's a good point. I hadn't even, I haven't run into that. I use DocuSign, so I haven't run into a lot of issues with it. But that is a good point because um, I, I have had it 
happen. And certainly I do remember now that you bring it up, the days when some um, law firms or sites, you couldn't even send a Zoom. They couldn't use Zoom. They couldn't. It was before COVID, but um, that happened quite often. Um, So one other thing that you did a tip on for the mediation committee um, in our newsletter, and it was it was one that I thought was really well thought out um, and a common issue for people is preserving confidentiality when screen sharing some tips around that. Oh, yeah, yeah, because that's a biggie. Sometimes I think that everything that you have open is going to show up when you hit share screen. So um, if you've been working on something. And I might add also if you've got your uh, your electronic uh, signature software up and it's got you know like some of the names of the documents there, you know, it'll it'll all show up. And you certainly don't want to do that. Um, so when I get started, when I get my meeting started, part of my list of to dos, along with you know, a- along with all getting my phone ready, et cetera, et cetera, is I actually go into share screen to double check you know what's actually closed and what's not. And, you know, then go back and make sure that I close everything. So every time I do a settlement document and run it through my electronic software, you know, then I close everything out, go back to the, to the screen where I can just drop a document in so that it's blank. And right. I actually have a file in my documents folder. I have a subfile called Zoom Doc where I have all my templates. And that I'll keep open because it's just templates. And that way when I share screen, you know, I've got all my templates in there that I can use, and it's a very, it's a very small subfile. It's got like six things in it, and that's it. So I have that open, and I have my, um, it's 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 web based, so you know I have Canadoc open as well, but I have it open clean with nothing that you can see, so that nobody can see anything. Right. So I don't know how many meetings I've been to where people forget to, that when they share the screen and they've got like their entire um, email. Yes, it's the email that I see all yeah, the time. Yeah, it's like, oh my God, you never want to do that. And it's just <laughs> one of those things that if you make it part of your, you know, like I have my virtual mediation procedures, just go check, 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 and do it, then, you know, you want, because you want it to be available easily. It's, it looks unprofessional to be groping around, but you certainly, it looks even worse to, to not maintain confidentiality. So you want to do both of those. Yeah, I think one of the things, there's a couple things. Um, I use my um, large iPad. I use my iPad Pro, and I actually open documents on there and then just share that screen because you have more control. Um, but Zoom actually announced at Zoomtopia, um, as I talked about in an episode just a little while ago, they're going to have Zaps coming up, which are Zoom apps, which are integrated apps. And one several of the integrated apps will be Dropbox or Box or some of the um, document uh, retention platforms, secure document retention platforms, so that you'll have it as an app directly on your toolbar, which I think will help to start taking care of that problem. But you're right, because I go into mediations day in and day out where someone was just working on a settlement agreement for one case, and it's still open on their, their computer. So when they open up a Word doc to work on the document for this mediation, that one's there. And that's really, you know, I think we all know 
that that's a that's a big no no. Um, so another thing, I definitely want to talk about uh, something that you were saying you were going to be integrating into your multi party mediations, and that's polling, uh, because I don't think a lot of mediators will have considered polling and the the uses that we might be able to have for that. Um, I know you used it recently in one of our, we actually the happy hour that you hosted for mediation week last week. Um, and most people think of polling as something we do in meetings um, or presentations. But um, I'd love to hear your tips first off around polling, but also your thoughts on its use in a multi-party mediation. Because I'm actually starting to use it in um, in my consulting practice. Because I also have a consulting practice in um, looking at, at systems and things like that. And I do have I'm working on a federal contract right now to look at ADR practices across agencies and identify best practices. Which um, and there'll be a big report that comes out, which will be publicly available, which I will you know, put on my website. Oh, we'll have you back on the show. <laughs> and it will be it'll be different because the federal government doesn't use Zoom. Um, oh, right. So um, it is going to be very informative, I think, because we'll be seeing a whole different way of doing things. But um, so I found that polling can sometimes cut through a lot of time if you've got multiple people, either because you're doing a consulting gig or because you've got multi-party mediation. And there are a couple of things that you just need to get out of the way um, instead of starting up a conversation, which could then, you know, spiral off with everything, you know, just give people choices and let them pick them really fast, you know, depending on what it is. You know, it's really basic stuff where the objective things about, you know, how, how people want to proceed in a mediation you know, or what documents they want to use or you know, what order they want to address things in or that sort of thing. You can just, you can do it, you know, and you can do the poll two ways. You can do a multiple choice poll where you give them a bunch of different choices or you can just do a, you know, if it's just an on-off switch and you want to quickly get everybody to focus on it without having a long discussion, you know, this or that. You know, that's all they need to do, yes, no. And, you know, hopefully you can get there. But you've got a bunch of people and a bunch of parties and, you know, you want to just get a few foundational issues resolved, you know, generally processed, then I think that that could be something that is pretty useful. And so I'm planning on using it in cases that in where the insurance company is there as well. You know, we have these kinds of cases where, you know, that's where where it can be important to see, you know, who wants to talk, who's going to be doing the talking, what's the order we're going to do, what's the, or what's the order of the issues we're going to address, and just give them, if there are a couple things where I want to empower people in process, you know, maybe there's three things on process that I would like them to decide rather than me saying, this is the process. <laughs> you know, just go one, two, three, like that. So poll, the one thing to remember about polling, here's the technical stuff, is yeah. you need to actually schedule your meeting to activate it. You know, if you just go into a, if you just start a meeting and you want to try and activate it, it won't work. Um, so what you do is you schedule your meeting. And then, you know, you can go into your meeting and start at any time before the, the start date. I know you know that. Um, <laughs> lots of my fellow mediators didn't know that when I was explaining this to them recently. Um, and then you can go in and you can put your polls together so that they're there. And then when you do have your meeting, they're all there. And you can just go right into your polling button and uh, launch your polls whenever you want to. And um, it can be, it, it's a very handy little tool to have, I think. And I think people, you know, sometimes like it as well. It's not a bad way to start a mediation to let people immediately make some decisions 
and be able to make them quickly. You know, let's just vote on this. One, two, three. And, um, you know, so, so that's just something that, that, I, that I, I'm interested in. Well, and I like it. And you can also share the results on the screen so that everybody can see them very quickly after they've all voted. So I, I had not, I'll be honest, thought about using it in a mediation, but I, I can see the uh, the uh, the application there, and I can actually see where that will make things easier. Clearly, you're not going to put out there. I think um, you know th- you know substantive questions where you're, where you're doing a poll on it. But there's a level of asynchronous communication there where you can put these things out, and I know they're doing them at the same time. But it allows people to sort of you know really cut to the chase on some objective issues. I, I think it's a great idea. I'd love to hear from other listeners if they've uh, if they've implemented any type of polling into their mediations. I'd love to hear about it because I think that's a you know that's a way where you're actually taking the technology and stepping up what you do in person to, you know, use the technology that's available to us to to add new layers to what we're doing for people. Um, And that's one thing you referenced earlier, sort of taking what we do in person and replicating it online. But we actually can go further than that. And that's what you're doing there. You're actually taking the technology and using it to implement something brand new into the process to help people. I think that is something that is really important for all of us to think about as the world continues to change. Um, And I actually have a project with another mediator here where what we're doing is we're thinking about what have we learned when we look at the online mediation process? What can, what are we doing that's better than what we did in person? What are we doing that's worse? And, you know, how can the process, you know, and there are just systemic things that we might not be able to change, but that we can make recommendations on. So we decided a couple of weeks ago that we really wanted to do this project. So we have started pulling together some things and, and I've thrown a couple of things out already to the courts, but we're trying to do something much more comprehensive to say, you know, in terms of access to justice, you know, we started online mediation feeling very excited that this was something that could expand access to justice because people could, from wherever they were, if they were in their offices or if they were home, you know, they could just take some time off, you know, get on their phone or get on their computer, you know, and try to mediate things through. And we could create, you know, all the different ways for them to participate, including, you know, breakout rooms, which I think are, you know, fantastic and sharing screens and everything else. Um, but, you know, there are obviously things that work worse. There are mm-hmm. things that work better. And so what we'd like to do is to be able to make up for the deficiencies and then try to find ways to use the technology to make the system more accessible. Because uh, I'm very excited about what the courts in Florida have done with the mediation program. I think it's one of the best in the country when, when I talk to people through the committee. I think that, you know, they've got a good infrastructure for it, better than better than many states that, you know, they put the resources in it. They have great training for everybody. You know, they have resources like the Mediation Ethics Advisory Council, you know, I mean, just a lot of different resources. And so I think we have, you know, the time is right to really take that next step and to make the mediation system much more accessible to people that it's still not that accessible. Yeah, well, and I do think, you know, the online platform was a quick pivot for most. 
many, many, many people and court systems have implemented now technology into the system. But yeah, I think that's a wonderful point. There are really good aspects to it. There are some that don't work as well. That doesn't mean it should be thrown out or you know, discounted. Maybe it's what beyond COVID. Maybe what works well for certain types of mediation should stay online. And maybe certain types of mediations or other d- dispute resolution proceedings need to be offline. But th- the the point is, is to take what's available to us and make the best of it and use it to its best ability. And that takes the constant adjusting and thinking and being creative that you've just shown you've been doing um, in this episode because you've come up with what I'll call the end arounds around all the issues, best practices, and just things that still make or help to make the process so accessible to people and still work. So for the past six, seven months, people have been able to resolve their issues with you, not just sit and wait until the courts open back up. So I want to make sure that um, everyone, because I, although you do a, all a great deal of pro bono work, you also have your, pra- your private practice. And you mentioned that you also do consulting. So tell people how they can get in touch with you um, and reach out to you for more information. Sure. My um, website is adrworkout.com. And my email is Judith at ADRworkout.com. And you can see the mediation services, the arbitration services, the consulting services that I offer. And um, I am always really interested in particular consulting, looking at systems, since that was something that I did, you know, for, for many years as a general counsel and chief counsel, is trying to develop systems that would work for resolving disputes and successfully did that. So um, I'm excited that I'm working on a report with uh, two law professors for the Administrative Conference of the U.S. to really advertise, you know, what works in the federal government and, you know, what are the standard, the gold standards for everybody there and, and elsewhere. So I'm, I'm looking forward to coming out with this report, but I am also looking forward to, you know, taking dives at, at other systems across the country. And now that I am 100% virtual, just like Susan. Yeah. <laughs> I, know I, could, I, could, I am available to take on engagements anywhere in the country or the world. Right. It's welcome to the online world. So <laughs> I will put all of your contact information, the website and all in the show notes for people so they can reach out to you through that. But Judith, thank you so much for coming on and sharing, you know, that practical advice that you have really been creative. I love hearing these stories. Um, and I know that your Zoom tip of the month is very popular with our mediation committee. So again, I just want to remind everyone, come join us with the mediation committee. The American Bar Association section of dispute resolution, uh, Very, we're very active there. You can join it. Um, it's AmericanBar.org backslash membership. I'll put that in the notes as well. And Judith and I would love to see you at one one of our committee meetings on the second Wednesday of each month at 12 noon. So Judith, yes, again, thank you so much. Yes, right? The more the merrier. Uh, we have a very good group of, of professionals and colleagues. It's, a, it's always a really interesting meeting. By the way, and I'm going to put a link to this as well in the notes, Judith presented um, a wonderful program, um, Bankruptcy, What Mediators Need to Know. And it, it was really well received. People um, were, I mean, there's just bankruptcies 
the flood's just about to come, as I know it's already starting, but it's really going to go deep. And uh, Judith did a shorter program for us in the mediation committee, but she, you also on your Zoom, um, or I'm sorry, on your YouTube channel, have a longer version. So I can, um, is it all right if I put a link to that? Yes, I did a big training program for the 12th Judicial Circuit uh, mediators because we're starting to to see these cases and we're going to be seeing a lot more. So is everyone so if you want to see that, and you do, um, I'll put a link to Judith's um, two presentations in the show notes as well. So thanks so much, Judith. You're so welcome. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie. And if you liked this episode, please give me a five-star rating and tell me what you did like in a review. Join me each Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. to hear another episode and be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss one. Send me your questions and comments at susan at learntomediateonline.com and you can find out more about my trainings and programs at learntomediateonline.com. I'll see you next week.